Brethren, one of the major themes that Dr. Meredith has stressed in the Living Church of God has been the need and the importance of restoring apostolic Christianity. That theme appears regularly in the publications of the Living Church of God. It is also mentioned regularly on the telecast and on the Internet. That theme was not pulled out of the air. It was just not some idea that Dr. Meredith got or anybody else got. It is a biblical theme. If you turn quickly to Matthew 17, verse 11, there are reasons why Dr. Meredith and why the Church of God is focused on restoring apostolic Christianity. And we find that clearly outlined in the Scriptures. In Matthew 17, Jesus was asked by his disciples, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? They were referring to a prophecy back in Malachi that we will look at in just a moment. They say, why do the scribes or the scriptures say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly is coming and will restore all things. That he was coming to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, but he was going to restore all things and understanding the law of God, the plan of God. Jesus and the disciples both were referring to a prophecy. Let's turn back to that prophecy quickly. The end of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4 is talking about an end time event. So while the apostles were asking Christ about the application of this scripture, Jesus clearly said that John the Baptist fulfilled that scripture initially preparing the way for the first coming of Jesus Christ. But as we read in Malachi chapter 4, the context of the prophecy is the end of the age. The end of the age. It says, remember in verse 4, the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children of the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The context of the prophecy is that someone, some organization would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah and restore all things. And the context is in the end of the age. And Mr. Armstrong read that scripture, and he strove to fulfill that scripture of restoring all things. That has been the focus of the church of God for a number of decades, to restore all things. That's been the focus of Dr. Meredith and the living church of God, to restore apostolic Christianity, to restore an understanding of the truth and the plan of God. You know, it's no accident that the church is focused on that. It's no accident that Dr. Meredith is focused on that because that is what we were told in the scriptures that God's church would be doing as we approach the end of the age, focusing on restoring apostolic Christianity. What I would like to ask today is the question, what role does Bible prophecy have to play in restoring apostolic Christianity? How important is Bible prophecy in apostolic Christianity? Should New Testament Christians be concerned about Bible prophecy today? 
Should you and I, if you're a young person, you have your life ahead of you, should you be concerned about Bible prophecy? And how does Bible prophecy relate to you? If you're an older person, how does Bible prophecy relate to you? What should the focus of the church be? Should the church be focused on Bible prophecy? Or is that focus on Bible prophecy a sign of prediction addiction? Think about it. You know, unfortunately, many people today, including people in the church of God, are confused about the role and the relationship of prophecy to Christianity. And that includes many ministers that have been affiliated with the church of God. You know, most mainstream Protestant Catholic ministers and churches ignore Bible prophecy. They don't focus on Bible prophecy. I did an experiment a number of years ago. I went to the library and I went through about 10 years worth of Christianity Today magazines. I found one article in 10 years in Christianity Today that focused on Bible prophecy. It was talking about the nation of Israel. It said, since many of these prophecies have not been fulfilled, they'll probably never be fulfilled. You know, I grew up in a Presbyterian church and some other churches. I didn't hear sermons about Bible prophecy. As you ride around town, notice the little billboards out in front of the churches about what they talk about. Very few will talk about Bible prophecy. It's just not there for the most part. Many evangelical ministers and denominations don't really understand Bible prophecy. Well, they know Christ is coming back. But beyond that, uh, uh, it's up for grabs what these scriptures mean. Sadly, many ministers that have been associated with the church of God have dismissed Bible prophecy. They just don't talk about it that much. Or they exaggerate Bible prophecy. They put their own spin on these prophecies. Sadly, too, many are losing their understanding of Bible prophecy that God had once revealed to their minds. You know, one of the major reasons for the confusion in the church over Bible prophecy has to do with seeds that were sown in the church about a decade or so ago. That anybody that had an interest in Bible prophecy was accused of suffering from prediction addiction. And as a result, I think many people have come, well, I don't want to be accused of you know, suffering from prediction and addiction, so I just won't talk about it. I won't worry about it. I'll let prophecies just work out. Now, this has been the seeds that were sown. These, so, these seeds have spread. And it's surprising where you th see these things sprouting today in sermons, in articles, and ideas that are circulated throughout various church organizations. You know, part of the arguments... <clears throat> and accusations made about prediction addiction. People have said that the church publications in the Church of God over the years focused on prophecy, and it got us off track. We should have been focusing on Jesus, because Jesus is the focus of Bible prophecy. We're going to look into that today a little bit. Some are saying that Christians should really focus on becoming Christ-like. They shouldn't be focusing on prophecy. 
They should be focusing on just becoming like Jesus Christ. What I would like to ask today is, are these assertions and accusations about prediction, addiction true? Are they accurate? Is that really what the Bible says? I think we will find as we look at the evidence that we will look at today, these accusations and ideas are sadly misguided, are sadly misguided and are actually deceptive propaganda that is not authored by Jesus Christ. These ideas are coming from somewhere else that many don't seem to understand. So what I'd like to do in the sermon today is basically ask the question, what is the relationship between Bible prophecy and true apostolic Christianity? Is Bible prophecy a vital part of apostolic Christianity? Is it important? Or is it just not that important? What I'd like to do in the sermon is approach this subject from three different directions. What is the role of Bible prophecy or prophecy in the Bible? Is prophecy an important part of the Bible? Now, you should know the answer to that. But it's part of the answer to the questions that I ask. Secondly, we'll look at the role that prophecy played in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Did he focus on prophecy? Some say, well, you know, he really didn't focus that much on prophecy. What about the role, point number three, of prophecy in the epistles, in the writings of the apostles? Some feel that, you know, Paul wrote 14 books in the New Testament, didn't spend much time on prophecy. Is that true? You know, brethren, we need to understand the scriptures. We need to be able to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Why do we focus on prophecy? Why do we feel as part of apostolic Christianity? Let's look at the lines of evidence from these three different directions. And I think we'll find some very interesting and very informative and actually very exciting bits of information. For those of you who are taking notes, uh, maybe Roman numeral number one would be the role of prophecy in the Scriptures. What role does prophecy play in the Scriptures? Let's notice a couple of Scriptures quickly. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What Paul is saying is all Scripture, the entirety of this book, is given by the inspiration of God. We can't kind of selectively pick and choose. Well, I don't like that part. I like this part. I was reading a paper that was published by the Anglican Church in England. They said the Anglican Church establishes doctrine by what it says and by what it doesn't say from the Scriptures. In other words, our doctrine is established by what Scriptures we read and by what Scriptures we choose not to read. Very interesting way to establish doctrine. Very sobering way. The Bible says all Scripture... Old Testament, New Testament, <laughs> entire books are given by the inspiration of God. 
the Bible reflects the mind of God. The Bible reflects the mind of God. What we read in the scriptures reflect his mind. You're familiar with the scripture probably in Philippians 2.5 where Paul says, Let this mind, the mind of Jesus Christ, the mind that is reflected in the scriptures, let this mind be in you. He says we as Christians should develop the mind of Jesus Christ, the perspective of Jesus Christ, the perspective provided in the scriptures. Again, we can't pick and choose. We've got to take the whole thing. You know, Paul mentioned to uh, the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20. He says, I've not shunned to declare unto you the whole uh, picture of God or the whole uh, message of the scriptures. He said, I didn't pick and choose. I gave you the whole thing. You know, we can't function like some churches today. That Well, we establish our doctrine by what we say from the Bible and what we choose not to read in the Bible. We can't approach it that way. The whole counsel of God has got to be the focus. Matthew 4.4, 4, again, you're familiar with the scripture. Jesus said, we have got to live, consider, understand every word of God. Live by every word of God. Well, I'm not interested in prophecy, so I'm not going to worry about that. It'll work out by itself. I'm going to focus on just loving everybody. Well, we need the whole counsel of God. We need to love everyone. We need to become Christ-like. But we need to understand Bible prophecy and how it relates to us. Some feel that Bible prophecy is not part of apostolic Christianity. It's not part of what we need to be focusing on. I'd like you to consider about seven things very quickly. Now, these are just facts. We don't need to argue about them. We don't need to discuss them a whole lot. But this is the ammunition. Point number one, one between one quarter and one third of the Bible is prophecy. 28, 29, 30% of the Bible is prophecy. The Bible reflects the mind of God. Prophecy is pretty important. Mr. Armstrong used to talk about that. One-third of the Bible is prophecy. Now, if we don't say one-third, if we say 29%, 30%, we know we're not watering down doctrine. It's just that we're dealing with a subject that different people will count certain scriptures a different way. The, the big ballpark figure is close to one-third of the Bible, around 30%, something like that. And some people would probably not count verses as prophecy that we might count as prophecy. But a big chunk, <laughs> that's real scientific, <laughs> a big chunk of the Bible is prophecy. It's important. It reflects the mind of God. Fact number two, the Old Testament was divided into three major divisions, the law, the prophets, and the writings. The law and the prophets and the writings, three major divisions of the scriptures. These were the scriptures that Jesus Christ and the apostles used. The prophets were made up of three major prophets and 12 minor prophets, plus Daniel was in the writings. And there are Psalms that talk about prophecy. Again, a big chunk of the Bible is about prophecy. Fact number three, the Bible contains some 1,800 predictions. One source, the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecies by J. Barton Payne, says the Bible contains 1,817 predictions. Almost 2,000 predictions, about 1,239 in the Old Testament and 578 in the New. Now, what's important is the Bible is like no other religious book. 
the Koran does not contain thousands of prophecies. The Book of Mormon does not contain thousands of prophecies. The Tao does not contain thousands of prophecies. The Upanishads, Indian writings in religion, don't contain thousands of prophecies. And that would be point number four. The Bible is unique. It's like no other religious book on earth. And it's filled with prophecies, many of which have come true, many of which are going to come true. And when you discount prophecy, you're throwing out a very powerful bit of evidence that the Bible is like no other book on the face of the earth. Fact number five, there are about 200 prophecies that focus on Jesus Christ that predict things, specific things about his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and the future activities that he would be involved with up until his second return, his second coming, and beyond. There are no prophecies in the Koran that predict specific things about Muhammad. There are no prophecies that I'm aware of in the Book of Mormon that predict things about Joseph Smith. See, the Bible is unique. It's totally different. Point number six. You know, as I mentioned in point five, there are 200 prophecies that focus on Jesus Christ. Some people feel Jesus is the focus of prophecy. There are about 1,600 prophecies in the Bible that focus on other topics. That focus on other topics. See, these ideas that have circulated around the church, and we've heard these things, are totally wrong. They're totally misguided. They undermine the power of Bible prophecy. And they get people's minds distracted and pointed in a totally different direction. These 1,600 prophecies focus on the future of nations, of America, Britain, other nations around the world. They mention specific individuals by name. It's about Isaiah 45. Cyrus was predicted to do various things. Josephus says Cyrus read those prophecies, probably courtesy of Daniel, <laughs> and he strove to fulfill those things that were said about him. Mr. Armstrong read what the church should be focused on at the end of the age, and he, he tried to do that. He read that the gospel would be preached in all the world for witness. Why are we on radio and television? Why are we doing these things? Because the Bible said this is what would be done, and it's not wrong to strive to do those things. It should be very exciting to be part of an organization that has the same focus that God said his church would have at the end of the age. Do we understand what we're part of? Are we excited about that? Or are we embarrassed by what the church is trying to do? These some 1,600 prophecies focus on a lot of other things. Many of these prophecies, Mr. Armstrong said 90% or so. Again, we're dealing with a relative figure here. But again, a big chunk of prophecy focuses on events at the end of the age. Why is it there? Well, God needed some editorial filler to make the Bible a little bit thicker. <laughs> no, it's there for a reason. To explain, provide guidelines, to inform, to wake us up, help us realize the times in which we're living. Point number seven, one of the strongest evidences that the Bible is inspired by God are fulfilled prophecies. 
You know, I've done a fair amount of reading about forecasting and trying to predict the future. And one of the phrases you come across almost invariably, that anybody that's into forecasting will say, if you try and predict the future with accuracy, you're a fool. Now, this is what they say. They say, nobody can predict the future. And yet the Bible makes predictions about the future in probably one of the most difficult areas to forecast. Geopolitics, the future of nations, what's going to happen to various nations in the future. Even people at the schools of international diplomacy, John Hopkins, Harvard, places like that, they don't make predictions. They say, well, this might happen. Daniel says, these words are true. They will happen. That's why critics say he's a fool. <laughs> but the interesting thing is, these things are happening. When I was in graduate school at a medical center in Mississippi 20, 30 years ago, I was walking around proctoring a lab one day, and I heard two guys talking, and they had heard Mr. Armstrong, probably Ted Armstrong, talking on the radio or television the night before. And you know what that guy said? He said this, he said that. He just talks. But you know, the things that we have talked about, the things that Mr. Armstrong was saying in the 50s and the 60s are coming to pass today. Oral Roberts was not saying these things at that time. Hal Lindsey was not writing about these things at that time. We were at that time. And these things are coming to pass today. Mr. Armstrong was saying, Germany will come back from the ashes and they will lead Europe. Who's called the engine of Europe today? It's the Germans. We need to be aware of what God has given us to understand. Let's look quickly at Isaiah 41, verse 21 through 24. God challenges critics. So do you think you're pretty smart? Predict the future. Tell us what's going to happen and then see if you can bring it to pass. I'm not aware that Muhammad makes statements like this in the Quran. I'm not aware that Joseph Smith made statements like this, but God does. Doesn't pull punches. Isaiah 41, beginning in verse 21. God says through Isaiah, Present your cause, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons. Verse 22, let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what were, that we may consider them, and know the latter end of them, or declare unto us the things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. You predict the future. Run some computer studies. <laughs> you know, map out these trends that you think will happen. Verse 24, indeed, you are nothing. Your work is nothing. He who chooses you, chooses to believe you, uh, is an abomination. And God mentions several other places here, Isaiah 41, 21, 41, 21, and also 46, 9 and 10. He basically says, you know, only an all-powerful God can predict the future and actually make it happen. This is the God who has begun to intervene in your life, who's opened your minds to understand. And if you do understand, then we need to take that very seriously because God is not opening everybody's mind today. You know, we don't have time to play games if God has opened your mind. 
You know, many of you have tried to convert friends, relatives, parents, children. How successful have you been? Does it work? You know, Mr. Armstrong used to use the analogy that uh, you, know, you can't teach a cow about intellectual things. Trying to explain the truth to a person God is not calling or is not opening their minds, it's not going to work. And if God has opened your mind, don't take that lightly. You know, when I was in college, one of our German professors had been in the Hungarian Revolution. He saw the Russian tanks come into Budapest. And he was teaching a bunch of college guys that didn't want to take German. We had to take it. It was a required course. He knew that. We didn't want to be there. We had trouble understanding his accent. But every day when we left class, he says, don't take it easy. You're turning the American bit of advice totally upside down. Don't take it easy. Well, we didn't want to take it at all. <laughs> so our temptation was to ignore, you know, not even work. But you know, he was trying to tell us, you guys don't understand how good you have it. You don't understand how good you have it. Don't take lightly what you've been given. If God has opened our minds to begin to understand the flow and the pattern of Bible prophecy, we don't want to take that easy. Don't want to take it for granted because we have responsibilities of sharing that information with the world, warning mankind about what is coming. We conclude this first section, what role does prophecy play in the Scriptures? I don't think there's any way that we can conclude anything else, but prophecy is a major part of the Scriptures. Some 30% of the Bible is prophecy. Thousands of prophecies in the Bible. Prophecy makes the Bible unique. It's not like any other book. It's totally different. The Bible reflects the mind of God, and God has put a big chunk of prophecy in the Bible. Let's turn to a scripture in the New Testament that I hope will you know, jump off the page with much deeper meaning as we read this scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 5.20. I've read over this, and this is sandwiched into a number of bits of advice that Paul is giving to the church in Thessalonica. Just notice quickly in verse 16, rejoice always. In other words, stay in a good attitude. Don't get in a bad attitude. Pray without ceasing. Now, he's just firing off uh, some things here. You know, don't forget to pray. In everything, give thanks. You know, be thankful. Don't quench the spirit, which will happen if we don't pray, if we don't study. Don't despise prophecies. Test all things. In other words, he just breezes over a number of things. But in verse 20, he says, don't despise prophecies. Don't take lightly prophecies. Don't lowly esteem prophecies. And we realize almost one-third of the Bible is prophecy. <laughs> Don't take that lightly. Don't take that lightly. So when we read this verse, even if it's only a couple of words, it should be a very powerful verse for us. Don't take it lightly. And if we hear someone, whether they're a minister, a leader, whatever, say, well, you know, prophecy will work out. Just, just focus on being Christ-like and just love everybody. Don't, don't get too uptight about prophecy. Red lights, green lights, not green lights, but red lights, yellow lights, bells, whistles ought to go off. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not what the book says. This is not what the book says. I better be careful. 
prophecy is a big thing. We don't want to play down Bible prophecy. If somebody says, you know, it's not really that important, we really need to be focused over here, turn to Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. In other words, just a few words here, but some very powerful words, very dangerous words if we don't listen to what is being said. Isaiah 8 and verse 20. It says, To the law and to the testimony, in other words, to the scriptures, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They're walking in the dark. They're not speaking the truth. They're not speaking according to the word of God. They are false teachers. They are false prophets. They will lead you off in a wrong direction. And some people are saying today, you know, there's no difference between all these different church groups. Listen to what they have to say. Listen to their approach to prophecy. Watch how they use prophecy or how they misuse prophecy. Notice what they say about Germany. Well, we don't know who they are. Well, we do know who they are. The Arabs in the 1500s knew who the Assyrians were. Now, these things aren't inventions that we have come up with. We need to be very careful when someone says, well, don't worry too much about prophecy. We don't know this. We don't know that. There are differences, and I think these differences will get greater as we go down the road, not less. This is just automatically what happens. Don't get sucked into some of these ideas and arguments that are just not correct. They are not true. Let's look at another line of evidence. <clears throat> what is the role of prophecy in the ministry of Jesus Christ? Was it an important part of his ministry or was it not? Did he emphasize prophecy or did he just kind of brush it off? You know, it's, it's one of these things. It's, it's nice. It's interesting. But we really need to be focused in a different direction. What was the approach? You know, the, the common misconception today if you have grown up or uh, been in mainstream Christianity, uh, the misconception about the gospel is, and the message of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus came saying, look, I'm talking about love, about forgiveness. You give your heart to the Lord, you'll go to heaven. Now, you listen to the program Sunday morning. It's pretty much what you will hear. There will be altar calls there. You know, Come on up and give your heart to the Lord. I remember my cousin and I went to a revival service one time when I was probably 17, 18, 19 years of age. At the end of the service, there was this big appeal. So anybody that is out there and lonely and, and uh, worried about themselves, you know, just give your heart to the Lord and come on up here. Raise your hand to indicate this is what you're going to do. I saw my cousin raise his hand, so I raised my hand. <laughs> and then at the end of the service, and then she said, okay, everybody that raised their hands, come on down front. And my cousin says, let's get out of here. <laughs> I said, I agree, let's go. <laughs> and this lady that was behind me says, wait a minute, boys. <laughs> You're going in the wrong direction. You should be going down there. My cousin says, let's get out of here. <laughs> you know, he was moved by emotion. He's a sincere person. And I was moved by his example, but we really didn't follow through on it. But it was this appeal. You know, God loves you. Christ died for you. Give your heart to Jesus and you'll go to heaven. And nobody wants to go to hell, even though we may be told periodically where to go. 
we all want to go to heaven. That's a better, that's a better hope. Many of us think we could talk St. Peter out of uh, uh, letting it and not keeping us out. You know. Anyway, I'm joking. But what is the role of Bible prophecy? What was the role of Bible prophecy in the ministry of Jesus Christ? What do we find in the Gospels? There's another scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, <clears throat> verse 21. And Paul is giving bits of very powerful advice. It's small, but it's significant in what Paul is talking about. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 5.21. It says, test all things. Examine everything that you're going to believe. Prove it. Hold fast to what is good. One of the things that really got my attention was some 30, 40 years ago when I was listening to Mr. Armstrong on the radio. He says, don't believe me. Prove it. Check it out for yourself. See if the book really does say that. Yet we heard in recent years, trust us. Trust us. Christ is leading us. See, if they don't speak according to the word of God, there is no light in them. The book says, prove it. Check it out. Look it up. I was surprised what I found when I went to the library 40 years ago. Wow. I didn't even know some of these things existed, but the information is there. You know, the Sabbath really was changed to Sunday by the Catholic Church. It really did happen. Christmas was made a Christian, quote-unquote, festival. It really did happen. And you can find the dates of the church councils that did it. In spite of the fact the Bible says, don't learn the ways of the heathen. <laughs> don't do those things. But, but it is okay. You know, we're honoring Christ's birth, even though he wasn't born at that time. We have set the date, and we're doing it that way. doesn't matter that there was a pagan festival on that day. We don't do it for those reasons. The Bible says don't do it at all. See, if they don't speak according to the word of God, there's no truth in them. We've got to prove. When we examine the writings of, uh, actually, when we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ as described in the Gospels, we find some very interesting things relative to Bible prophecy. And these things seem to be brushed under the rug today. Did prophecy play a role in the ministry of Jesus Christ? A couple of points here. First point, prophecies about the coming Messiah, there are about 200 of these. There are about 200 prophecies about a coming Messiah, where he would be born, how he would die, what he would do, various aspects of his life. Maybe in your notes, just put down Matthew chapter 1, 2, and 3. Matthew chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you can just skip down through that chapter. There's six, seven or more references to Bible prophecies that were about Jesus Christ. These prophecies were given four, five, six hundred, seven hundred years before Christ appeared. Now, this is part of the evidence. God inspired the prophets five, six, seven hundred years before the prophecies ever were fulfilled. They were written down. They were preserved by the Jews. And Matthew is writing a gospel to the Jews. He said, look, it's in your scriptures. Here are the prophecies. Look at them. Read them. You've copied them. You've kept them. They're happening in front of your eyes. Matthew chapter 1, a prediction about Jesus Christ is quoted from Isaiah 
chapter 7, verse 14, but we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says, Behold, a virgin shall uh, be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us, which is translated God with us. So what Matthew is saying is here in verse chapter 1, verse 23, he quotes a scripture from Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Here was one of the prophecies of Jesus Christ, that he would be born of a virgin. This was written 700 years before it happened. There are no prophecies about Muhammad, that he would be up here and have a certain name uh, 700 years before he was born. These things just don't exist. But relative to Jesus Christ in the Bible, they do. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 2, uh, prophet, or prophecies from Micah. In, Mal in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, Behold, you, Bethlehem, and in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of the Jews. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. Another prophecy of Jesus Christ. It's quoted from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It was written 700 years before Jesus Christ appeared, where he would be born. There's nothing like this about other religious leaders. We're dealing with some very powerful and very unique information. You can get down through chapter 2 and chapter 3, uh, a number of other scriptures that Matthew refers to. What's important is these prophecies reveal and establish the identity of Jesus Christ. Who was this person? He was the person that fulfilled these prophecies. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah, the one that was promised to come. This is who that man was. Prophecy identifies Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Notice in Matthew 16, verse 16. And this is what was exciting, had to be to the apostles. They knew the scriptures. They knew the prophecies. They knew someone was predicted to come to be a savior of mankind. They were living at the very days when he appeared. And that had to be exciting. There was a sense of expectation uh, over the Middle East at that time that, that a Redeemer was going to come. We're living in a period of time when we're not the only ones expecting the return of Jesus Christ. And there's a parallel between the times. I hope we are as excited and sobered by the times in which we're living. Notice what Christ asked Peter. And the other apostles in verse 15, he said to them, Who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? Am I just Jesus, the carpenter's son? Got some brothers and sisters here? Is that all I am? Who do you think that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one who was predicted hundreds of years ago that would come. You are that person. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the one who is predicted to be the Savior of the world. Sobering. But notice Christ's answer. Jesus answered and said to them, Blessed are you. The word blessed is not some spiritual, ethereal thing. It means to be envied. You are to be envied because you understand who I am. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't figure this out on your own. 
But my Father who is in heaven has opened your minds to understand that. Hopefully, brethren, we will not take for granted what God has opened our minds to understand. But prophecies establish the identity. A number of other things also establish the identity of Jesus Christ. He did miracles. He made predictions. But prophecy is one of the main things that established the identity of Jesus Christ, explain who he is. Second point, and I think somehow this seems to escape people today. Well, Jesus didn't say very much about prophecy, and he didn't say too much about these things, and really wasn't much, you know, a big part of his ministry. We read over something that's so obvious. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God if it is not a prophetic event that is yet in the future? The gospel is about a prophetic event that is coming, going to change the world. Hasn't happened yet. You know, the kingdom of God is not a warm feeling in your heart. It was John Wesley said, you can tell when God is working with you, you have a burning in your bosom. <laughs> There'll be this warm feeling. You'll know it's the truth. No. You can get a warm feeling and be deceived. You know, I met this person, you know, and bells went off. doesn't matter that they were married to somebody else. See? <laughs> we can be deceived by warm feelings. We can be deceived. But the point is, point number two, the gospel is about prophecy. It's about a prophesied event, an event that is yet to come. And for those of us that are looking forward to the future, whether you're a young person and you have hopefully decades ahead of you, or whether you're an older person and has a few years, doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is a future event that we can all be part of, that we can prepare for. Understanding the gospel will change your life. It'll give you a goal, a reason for living, a reason for doing things that many people will tell us you're stupid for doing today. But if you want to be in the kingdom of God, Jesus said here, repent and believe. Believe the gospel. Do you believe it? Are you preparing for the return of Jesus Christ? Do you want to be in the kingdom of God? Do you want to rule with Jesus Christ? Would you like to rebuild cities? <laughs> would you like to restore the earth? Or would you rather watch TV? Would you rather go have a party tonight? Tie one on tonight. Have fun tonight. Wake up tomorrow. What did I do last night? I don't remember. Do you want to be in the kingdom of God? Or is that nonsense or not important? The point I want to make here is the gospel is about a prophetic event. Jesus was concerned about prophecy. It was part of his ministry. Read Matthew 13. Those parables talk about the kingdom of God. It's like a, a pearl of great price that somebody finds. I'm going to, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to be. That's what I want to do. I value that. Prophecy was a major part of Jesus' ministry. Maybe just jot down a few scriptures, uh, Matthew in John 18.36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. It's not in your heart. I'm not going to take over this world and uh, get presidents elected that I'm, you know, their instruments in my hands, things like that. Jesus Christ is going to return and bring peace to this earth, not the United Nations. 
and not the American Congress by invasions of Iraq or whatever. That's going to blow up in our face probably. Prophecy was part of Christ's ministry. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. You can turn to Hebrews 2.5. He's talking about an age to come. The world tomorrow. Tomorrow's world. This is what the gospel is all about. This is why we're here. It's a big part of his ministry. Third point, Jesus made many specific predictions. He just didn't say, just, just love me. Give your heart to me. He said, I am going to die. They're going to crucify me. But I'm going to come back to life after three days. He said that three times. It's recorded three times in the book of Matthew. It's recorded three times in the book of Luke. It's recorded three times in the book of Mark. About nine times. Jesus himself made a prediction. They're going to mess me up. They're going to do me in. But I'm going to come back to life after three days. He was the son of God. He had the power to do that. Jesus made predictions. Point number four, Jesus made many specific predictions about the end of the age. Now, we tend to focus on Mark cha Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, but there are other scriptures where Jesus talked about the end of the age and what was going to happen after he returned. Let's notice just one quick scripture here in Matthew chapter 19. Prophecy was part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's what got his disciples excited. He told them in Matthew 19, <clears throat> verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say unto you that in the regeneration, uh, in the resurrection, uh, as one of the uh, translations says, in the world ahead or the world tomorrow, in tomorrow's world, when the Son of Man sits on his throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He said, guys, here's your future. Why did they keep bugging Christ? Uh, uh, even James and John's mother. I've got two wonderful boys here. You know, it would be too much to ask. Just, just, just on, the, on your right hand or on your left hand. Just a little thing. Why were they asking? You know, there's this story of these two little boys in their farmer's clothes are walking down the, the, uh, an alley on the farm and saying, you know, I've been rich and I've been poor, but, you know, rich is better. <laughs> you know, if you have your choice of being a king or a queen and reigning with Christ or sweeping you know, the floor or doing something, what would you prefer? If you tell me, well, I'd just rather sweep the floor, I don't believe you. <laughs> I just don't believe you. It's much better. They have a better job. You can serve both ways. And we can become vain both ways. Oh, I'm just a poor, humble, you know, down here was in a card shop the other night, and it says, you can tell you're a redneck if. <laughs> Is that what you want to be? You're redneck if you use a weed eater in your living room? <laughs> you know, I've had visits like that where I look through the floor saw the weeds coming up. People were wonderful. Some were. And some were spitting and chewing and shoot you too. <laughs> but you know, what would you rather be? We've been called to become kings and priests to reign with Jesus Christ. This is the future God is offering us. In the regeneration, in the world tomorrow, he says, you'll sit on 12 thrones. 
ruling the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why the disciples said, look, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Do we get our reward at this time? How long do we have to wait? They were excited. They weren't saying, well, you know, I want to do a bunch of other things before the world tomorrow comes. I had to go out and have fun and do all this other stuff first. Well, do that. There may not be a reward. There may not be the reward that you would like if we don't get our focus correct. Matthew 24, let's look at that quickly. And some read down through this and they say, well, you know, Christ was asked this question, what's going to be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And all he did was talk about a parable of the fig tree. That skips about 20 verses. You know, it's just kind of a vague thing here that whenever you see certain uh, branches or whatever, well, you know, the time is near. But he didn't tell them, you know, any specific things. Read the book. What's going to be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Verse 3, Jesus answered and said, Take heed, no one deceives you. Many will come in my name. There's some 300 splinter groups out of the Worldwide Church of God. Now, that's just one little organization. There's some, what, five, six, seven hundred denominations in the Protestant world. And then there are other religions all around the world. They're religious. They're talking about God. But Jesus said, many will come in my name and deceive a few people. No, deceive many people, millions of people. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. It talks about nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. These are not local little disturbances. Jesus is talking about the events at the end of the age when we reach the climax of human civilization that's been influenced by Satan and his ideas. He's talking about events that are going to impact the whole world. They're going to become increasingly severe. They're going to make headlines all around the world. This is what he's talking about, not some little local disturbance. It was interesting when I landed in England for the feast. This was the, I may have shown you this before, but this was the headline of Time Magazine. Death threat from this uh, avian flu. And they're saying there's only about uh, 10 genetic differences between this bird flu today and a flu epidemic that killed over a million people about 1918. This is a closely related virus. It was an avian virus back in 1918. I mean, this was just one of the headlines. This was Scientific American. Notice the headline here, the cover. Crossroads for planet Earth. (laughs) These are not religious people. Crossroads for planet Earth. Let me just read a couple things here. Because this is the age in which we are living. It says the climax of humanity. (laughs) The end of the road? This is what you're talking about, the climax of humanity. Demographically and economically, our era is unique in human history. Depending on how we manage the next few decades, we could usher in environmental sustainability or collapse. This is the world we're living in. These aren't just normal times. This is Scientific American. These guys are educated. They're not influenced by Bible prophecy. But what they're saying is we are approaching a period of time, a crossroads for humanity. We may not survive. They talk about in the article, we're approaching a bottleneck. If we make it through, it might be okay. But there's another option. If we don't make it through, 
And they're talking about the world. They're talking about human civilization. Matthew chapter 23, verses 21 and 22. This is what Christ was talking about, not some little local event. He's talking about earth-shaking events where the future of human civilization is on the line. Verse 21, it says, For then will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world. This article says, We are living in unique times. No, nor ever shall be. And unless these days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. This is the bottleneck. This is the crossroads that Christ was talking about. Scientific Americans talking about the same thing. We're not living in a game, time to have fun and games. We need to take seriously what God has opened our minds to understand. Or we may not be in the kingdom of God. Matthew 24, verse 14. We've talked about this for years. It says, The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. And Mr. Armstrong was focused on preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. You know, I remember reading pamphlets back 30, 40 years ago about Herbert W. Armstrong and his wonderful world tomorrow. Ha, 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 ha. Whereas mainstream religion was focused on going to heaven. Yet the early church, we've used the quotes from Gibbon, Gibbon's book on the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. He says that this concept of the saints reigning with, with Christ was what drove the church for the first several centuries. And then it was viewed as an analogy and then eventually heresy. <laughs> and nobody talked about it. I never heard about the coming kingdom of God when I grew up in another church. I heard about going to heaven, playing harps, walking on streets of gold. I wondered, how can I sit on a cloud? How can a cloud hold up a harp? It just didn't make sense. When I heard about the kingdom of God, I thought, wow, incredible. It blows my mind. This is tremendous. Tried to explain it to my folks. Didn't understand. Who's this man in California? Where did he get his ideas? From the book. And God opened his mind to understand those things. He didn't take the course of the church off in a wrong course. He understood Bible prophecy. He began to explain it. And it opened the minds of many people. It says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness. That's what we're trying to do today. That's why we're on television. That's why we publish, why we're on the Internet. Jesus warned many would come in his name and deceive many. Revelation 6 talks about a militant Christianity at the end of the age. Another magazine I picked up again, it was in England, but this new scientist has a feature article on fundamentalism. The return of religion all over the world, among the Jews, uh, among Christians, uh, among Muslims. You know, we've got an article in Tomorrow's World talking about the return of religion. We're writing about the same thing, but I, I would challenge you, compare the content. <laughs> <laughs> this guy uses the same sources that I used, but he doesn't understand the prophetic significance of this resurgence of religion. See, Revelation chapter 6 says it's going to be a militant religion. What's happening in the Middle East? Religious people blowing themselves up and everybody else. It's going to be interesting to watch and see what happens in Europe when the Catholic Church begins to push things. If you want a foretaste, go back and read what happened under the Inquisition. 
you will believe or off comes your head or your fingers or your toes. Well, it couldn't happen again. Let's wait and see. The Bible says it will. Daniel says these things are sure and they will happen. Daniel talks about a little horn that persecutes the saints. History does tend to repeat itself after it changes its costume. Won't well, be quite the same, but the results will probably be very similar. The Bible is filled with prophecies about the end of the age. Luke chapter 21 talks about Jerusalem being surrounded by armies at the end of the age. Zechariah 14 says half of Jerusalem will go into captivity. I mean, how much more specific do we have to get? Muhammad didn't say these things. Joseph Smith didn't say these things. Buddha didn't say these things. He was contemplating his navel. (laughs) We just have to be realistic about these things, brethren. It's not putting anybody down. This is the truth. We're dealing with facts. It's not emotion. When we read the book, we find that Jesus said a lot more about world events and other things than just, you give your heart to me. Many people today want to quote Acts chapter 8, verse 37, where Philip said to the Ethiopian eunuch, you just disbelieve and everything will be fine. And the implication is just believe in Jesus, believe he's the Son of God, and everything will work out fine. Christ spoke about a lot of other things. He said, you better watch this, you better watch that. Read through Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21, Mark 13. Watch, watch, watch. You can't watch unless you know what to watch for. What am I supposed to be watching for? Wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, disease epidemics, natural disasters. You know, this Hurricane Katrina said it was one of the biggest things that's ever happened. The earthquake in uh, Southeast Asia, one of the biggest things that ever happened. Some of these uh, famines and some of the droughts that are going on, worse than 100 years. This is what Christ was talking about. We need to be alert to what these things mean. Because he says, my return is going to be close, and the kingdom of God is just around the corner. We don't need to focus on the bad news. The bad news should wake us up. But we should be excited about the coming kingdom of God. How would you like to be given an island to work with? a region to work with, a city to work with. What would you do with it? Are we prepared? I've been watching television. I've had a good time last night. I don't have time to do these things. Well, we may not be there and be given that opportunity. When we read the book, we find out that prophecy was a major aspect of the ministry of Jesus Christ. There's no way to get around it. It's there. Third aspect, a third route of evidence, the third thing I wanted to look at. What is the role of prophecy in the epistles? Some have said, well, Paul wrote 14 books, really didn't spend much time on prophecy. I would say, really? Is that true? Acts chapter 1, let's just start and look quickly at some of the things that we find in the epistles. Now, a lot of the epistles, Paul was dealing with church problems. But he also drops a phrase here and a phrase there when we realize that uh, there are a lot of things he's not saying here. Luke, in writing the book of Acts, describes what the disciples talked to Christ about after the resurrection. Wow, let's all go to heaven. Let's all get excited. Let's do all these things. 
Notice in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. So to whom he presented himself, so Christ is presenting himself to a number of people, alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 30 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This is what Christ talked about, a prophetic event that was yet in the future, and this is what he talked about for 40 days when he was with the disciples and others. Verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice where their focus was? A future event, a prophetic event, an event that had yet to come. That's what they wanted to talk about. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. What did Philip talk about when he went down to Samaria? Verse 12 of Acts chapter 8. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, this prophesied, predicted future event that had not yet happened, and the name of Jesus Christ, the fact that he was the promised Messiah, that he was going to return. The saints would reign with him. This is what they were talking about. Acts chapter... 3 and verse 19. I think we skipped one here. Mr. Armstrong used to go to this all the time. <clears throat> Disciples were preaching here, Peter and John, on the porch at the, uh, the temple. What were they preaching about? Uh, verse 19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus Christ, and he'd already been there, he was gone, which means he's going to come back, who has preached to you before, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. This is what they were preaching about, about a coming kingdom of God, a restoration of all things. We are preaching about a coming kingdom of God, a restoring of apostolic Christianity trying to do the same thing. This is our mission. This is our goal. What was Paul's goal toward the end of his ministry? Acts chapter 28. Now, we're skipping over a lot of things, but these are the things that we find when we read the book. Acts 28, verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, this is Paul. Uh, he was under house arrest. Many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God this future prophetic event that had yet to occur and will occur in the future, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. So he was talking about prophecy. This is the one who was predicted to come. And we're talking about a person who is going to come again. From morning until evening, verse 30, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God talking about this prophetic event. This was a major aspect of apostolic Christianity. I'll just give you a couple of other scriptures here quickly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul mentions that one of the gifts of the Spirit is prophecy. To have a deeper understanding of the meaning of world events. Acts chapter 15, we don't equate this with prophecy, but what is it talking about in, Acts, or in 1 Corinthians 15? It's talking about the resurrection when we will put on immortality, when we will become spirit being, when is this going to happen? At the last trump, this future prophesied, predicted event. It's all part of apostolic Christianity. We don't gain eternal life right now. It will be at the last trump when Christ returns. 
apostolic Christianity is focused on the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. 1 Thessalonians 5, and it's interesting here, whole chapter kind of focuses on prophecy. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 1 through 11. Let's look at these quickly. Paul will take a whole chunk of a chapter and focus it on the end times. So he's telling the church at Thessalonica, verse, chapter 5, verse 1, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need, you have no need that I should write to you. you know, Christ talked to you all about these things. So I don't need to go through the basics again. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. I was reading one of the commentaries, and one commentary said, Any time God intervenes in history is the day of the Lord. Wrong. <laughs> no, the day of the Lord is a very focused subject. It talks about the end of the age. And that's what Paul is talking about. It's going to come as a thief in the night. People aren't going to be ready. They're going to hear people saying peace uh, and safety. Everything's going okay. I read an article in the paper this morning. I think Mr. Bush was saying the best is yet to come for the American economy. That was what he was saying. And on the editorial page, it said America cannot continue spending indefinitely like we are. Something's going to blow sooner or later. So this is what we're saying today. Some will say peace and safety. Then suddenly destruction comes upon them. Latter part of verse 6, Paul says, let us watch. Why is he saying that? Because Christ said it. What do we watch? The things Christ said to watch for. It's all about prophecy and prophecies that will be fulfilled. Verse 12, he says, we urge you, brethren, recognize, acknowledge, become familiar with, knowledgeable about those who labor among you. What is their track record? Where are they coming from? What have they been saying for years? Have they changed their tune? <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. He says, be knowledgeable of who it is that you follow. Don't just follow anybody. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, what the, the apostles do is offer us more specific information about prophesied events that are not found in the Old Testament. They don't need to go through everything, but they offer more specific insights. Paul is mentioning here concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he'd just been there and left. So this has got to be, coming, got to be talking about the coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Don't be shaken or troubled by the things that you see around you. Don't let anybody deceive you, verse 3. For that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless there is a falling away first. And a man of sin is revealed, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. And we've seen a falling away in the church. We lost over 100,000 members. Is that the ultimate fulfillment of this verse? What if we see the Protestant world go back to the Catholic Church? In England, they've been writing articles about people wanting to reverse the Protestant Reformation where everybody goes back to Rome. Now, it'll be, it will not be a falling away from the total truth, but it will be a falling away from what people understood is the truth. Instead of sola scripture, we just believe the Bible, they'll be accepting human tradition along with the Bible. And we just need to watch how these things are going to be fulfilled. Uh, one of the news items we used last week where Mr. Prodi, the man who wants to become the next prime minister of Italy, 
is wanting to refurbish and restore these pilgrimage routes in Europe. And one of the routes that he wants to restore is a pilgrim, pilgrimage route from Canterbury in southeast England to Rome. Economically, it's going to be very beneficial to any merchants and hotelers along the way. But it's also going to bring hundreds of thousands of people walking down to Rome. Why Rome? It focuses the attention of the world on Rome. And if we see a massive reversal of the Protestant Reformation, would that fit with this verse? We need to be just considering what's happening in the world. But Paul mentions these things, a falling away, a man of sin. Was that man of sin Mr. Dukach? As some have said. Or is it talking about a person with a global influence, a worldwide influence? When the Pope, the recent Pope, held this youth rally in Cologne, Germany, a young man said, wow, this is what it's like to be part of a world religion. Christ was talking about big things. Paul was talking about big things, earth-shaking things. And this is all part of apostolic Christianity. Reading down through chapter 2, he talks about people are going to be uh, deceived when they see signs and, and wonders. There was an article in the paper recently by some people, I think it was in San Francisco, saw a statue of the Virgin Mary uh, with tears streaming down her cheek, or at least some stains, <laughs> and they were looking for the tears. And the Catholic priest was asked, is this a miracle? Uh, are you going to look into the evidence? He says, we're not going to look into the evidence. <laughs> we're not going to check the facts. If it is, it is. And the reporter was going to say, look, you could be promoting something wrong. He said, don't worry about it. <laughs> we're not going to worry about it. And I think I've mentioned this before. I think every year, about a million people, I think it is, gather in Fatima in uh, central Portugal. They're there because they want to see a miracle repeated. You know, the shepherd girls that saw the sun spin around and all kinds of things happen in the sky back, what was it, early 1900s. There's a huge industry there now where buses, loads of people come in. And they come in on a certain day because they want to see a miracle. What happens if that happens? must be the truth. And yet the Bible says, <laughs> be careful. The whole world is going to be deceived by signs and wonders. How does this relate to us? Verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions or the teachings which you were taught. Don't give up the truth when you see something like this happening. God tells us these things because he loves us and wants to warn us. You can go down through 1 Timothy where it talks about don't teach other doctrines. Apostasy will take place in the last days. Guard the teachings that you have been given. Some people have said that, uh, you know, this idea of the American, Britain, our Israelite nations is Mrs. Mr. Armstrong's idea and got the church off in the wrong direction. We have taught for decades that an understanding of identities from the Bible is the key to Bible prophecy. Why don't other religions, denominations, understand Bible prophecy? Why don't they talk about it? Because they don't know who Israel is. And unless you understand that, the prophecies in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Hosea, Daniel, you're not going to understand. You're not going to understand the application. That's why they don't write articles about Bible prophecy. We have been given that understanding. 
And as Paul says here to the Thessalonians, you stand fast and you hold on to the traditions that you've been given. The understanding that God has opened your mind to appreciate. Second Peter, in fact, read the whole book of Second Peter, 1, 2, and 3. Peter said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. As we get closer to the end, you need to take heed. You need to understand. He warns about false prophets and false teachers that would come. You know, there's some people claiming to be, claiming to be prophets today. Self-appointed prophets, self-appointed apostles. I mean, they're all over the place today. Go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 13. It says, if a false prophet comes along, makes a prophecy, and it does begin to uh, look like it's happening, does come to pass, and then they teach you other things. It says, don't pay any attention to them. And some are saying, you've got to believe Mr. Armstrong was the Elijah. You can't be part of our church. The Bible does not identify who the second Elijah is. Jesus said John the Baptist was the first. You find a scripture in the Bible that identifies by name who the second Elijah is. Now, somebody says, you've got to believe that Mr. Armstrong was. They are teaching a non-biblical uh, bit of information. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. And we need to understand these things. We can't be making up our own doctrines. But the Bible warns that false prophets will come along and things might look pretty interesting. But are they teaching according to the Scriptures? Isaiah 8.20, if they are not speaking according to the Scriptures, don't believe them, don't follow them. I mean, that's what the book says. Revelation, the entire book, the last book of the Bible, is not about prophecy. Well, it is. <laughs> it is about prophecy. And it reflects the mind of God. And it pulls together the prophecies in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And this was the last thing that Christ gave us. Let's look quickly at Matthew, or at Revelation chapter 1. Some people are saying an interesting prophecy is prediction addiction. You know, don't get carried away. What did Jesus say? What did the apostles say? This is what John had written under inspiration. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he, that word again, to be envied is the person who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in basically this book where the time is near. John is not saying, don't worry about it. Prophecy will take care of itself. It's blessed is that person that reads and heeds and listens and understands. Revelation chapter 22, the end of the book. Revelation 22, verse 18. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, now I've got a few more things that are not written in a book, but you've got to believe these things. Can't do that. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, well, you know, Revelation is just an analogy. It's just kind of an interesting story. It doesn't really relate to real events. Brethren, we are seeing prophecies come alive today. Almost every day in the paper, these things are coming together. Things we've talked about for decades are happening today. If anyone takes away, treats lightly the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. 
That should be pretty sobering. From the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. Okay, what does all this mean? What is all that up to? Why did we talk about this today? We asked the question in the very beginning, what role does prophecy play in apostolic Christianity? An important role? An unimportant role? A major role? A minor role? Not important? Or very important? We looked at the role of prophecy in the Bible, and we found between a quarter and a third of the Bible is prophecy. It's prophecy that makes the Bible unique, totally different from any other religious book on this earth. We looked at the role of prophecy in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Almost 200 prophecies were written hundreds of years before to identify who Jesus Christ would be, the Son of God, the Messiah, the prophesied one to come, the Savior of mankind. Jesus made specific predictions about his life, his death, his resurrection. He gave specific predictions about world events as we approach the end of the age, and it was Jesus Christ that said, watch. Keep your eyes open. Recognize the significance when you begin to see these things happen. As we went through the writings of the apostles, we found there many references to Bible prophecy. Some very short, very concise, but when you think about it, if they spent 40 days talking about the coming kingdom of God, they were talking about a prophetic event that was going to come in the future, and that was what the gospel was all about. And they were excited because they wanted to be part of it. Do we reflect the same excitement? Brethren, when you read the book, the answers to the questions that we asked at the beginning should be pretty obvious. Did prophecy play a role in apostolic Christianity in the first century? You bet it did. You bet it did. It was part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. The apostles talked about it. Will prophecy be part of apostolic Christianity at the end of the age? You bet it will be. <laughs> it is. And all this stuff about pre prediction addiction, and don't get carried away with these things, are nonsense. These ideas are coming from a source that is not of God. And they are involved and have been involved in deceiving many people. I told you I burned my tongue in that tea at the beginning. <laughs> you know, we need to land hard on some of these things because we need to understand what the truth is and we need to understand who deceivers are and why they're trying to deceive people. Satan does not want you to be in the kingdom of God. You have been given an understanding of the future. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 13? He says, your minds have been opened to understand things that even the prophets did not understand. Do we value our calling? Do we value the understanding of prophecy that God has given to us? We have been given this more sure word of prophecy so that we can explain this to the world to help people wake up so that we can be prepared for Jesus Christ's return and not be caught sleeping, but that we can be ready to rule with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God, which is a prophetic event.